this morning there was a group of people praying and I thought, wow, uh, the iShare programming team and everyone who's worked so hard together, I think the best thing we have going for us is that we've been praying that God would bless us. So as I set my timer so you're not here until noon, I'm just kidding. You won't be here till noon. But every point could be a sermon. And I said, Lord, how are you going to fit four sermons into one? But he's going to do it in the next 42 minutes. Amen? Amen. How about we start with a word of prayer and then we're going to get going. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this morning I bow before you so humbled. Lord, we're told that Satan works in a special manner to confuse the mind on this point the point of righteousness by faith. And in my feeble attempt, I bow like Paul and pray that, loving God, I'm not coming to this group of people with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to them the testimony of God. For we, right here in this room, Lord, are determined to not know anything among us except Jesus Christ and him crucified right now. So in weakness, Lord, in fear and in much trembling, I pray that my speech and my preaching is not with persuasive words of the wisdom of men, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God, that the faith of all of us would not rest in any man, but in you, dear God. Holy Spirit, please be our teacher. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning, the title of the message is Letter Y, Why Share, Who Cares? And... We're told that not one in 100, how many? One in 100 really understand what salvation is. Is that a problem? That's a problem because right here in this room, we probably don't even have 100 people. So that means that none of us really understand what salvation is. Does that make you tremble a little bit? Righteousness by faith, as I've been studying it since March, in a specific manner, trying to say, wow, Lord, if it's only one in 100, dear God, help me to be part of, be the one. Amen? When you pray that prayer, friends, the Lord answers. So we're going to go through four basic points to understand this gift of righteousness by faith. Remember, each point could be a sermon. So the first point being who he is, the second point being who we are, the third, the call, the fourth, the cost, and the final result of it all. I'm going to start with a story. This story goes that I woke up one morning and I was getting onto a plane and I prayed that God would give me an intellectual conversation on the airplane. And I don't know why I prayed that. I guess I just really wanted to talk with someone. And normally I want to take a Benadryl and go to sleep on the plane. But this morning I prayed that prayer and so I get onto the plane And I'm sitting there, and my seat's empty. And I was like, Lord, I'm not going to have an intellectual conversation if this seat stays empty. The plane takes off. I'm in the air, and I was like, well, I think I'll take a nap then. I'm about to fall asleep, and the flight attendant comes up to me, and she says, "Uh, young lady, there's a man who he's seven foot one, and his knees are cramped. Do you mind if he comes and sits here? And I said, no, I don't mind at all. Please have him come sit here. So this tall guy comes over and he sits down next to me and I look at him and I said how many tall jokes have you heard 
He paused for a moment and he goes, I think I've heard every single one. But in his hands was a book, a textbook on logarithms. And I was like, oh, Lord, I don't know if I wanted to talk to someone about logarithms. I almost didn't even know how to pronounce that word. So we're sitting there and we begin to talk and he asked me, Lisa, what do you do? And I said, well, I uh, plant churches. And he's like, wow. And I go, what, what about you? What do you do? He goes, well, I had my doctorate at 19. And I was, I was like, Lord, what did I get myself into? So we're sitting there, and I want you guys to get the main point. This three-and-a-half-hour conversation that we dove into started with him asking me a simple question. Lisa, do you think that humanity is digressing or slowly increasing or getting better? And I laughed. I said, you know, honestly, I just take the human body. Over so many years, it has definitely just digressed. It's physically we are not what we used to be. Long story short, we started to talk. And I said, now it's my turn to ask you a question. And he, I said to him, let's take all the knowledge in the world. And some of you have heard Elder Finley share this, and I thought, I've got to try this one day. Let's take all the knowledge in the world, all the knowledge past, present, and future. And if we could put it in this pie chart that I'm doing with my hand right here, and we're sitting on the plane, and it 100% equals all the knowledge in the world, how much knowledge would you say you have? And he looks at me, and he's like, that's not fair. And I said, do you want me to answer for you? And he goes, sure. And I said, well, you read books on logarithms, so I'm thinking that you might have a little more than the average person. I said, 2%? of all the knowledge that has ever existed, and there's hundreds of books being published by professionals in their field every single day. And he says to me, 2%'s too generous. I said, 1%? He goes, no, because knowledge is constantly increasing. I can't keep up with it. This is someone who has their doctorate in mathematics and logician. He was literally a logician. I said, okay, um... What do you say? He said, maybe 0.005%. And I said, of all the knowledge in the world, you have 0.005%. And he goes, sure. And I looked at him and I said, the reason why I'm asking you that question is, you've told me, and this was a long conversation, that you don't believe in a God. And I said, in that other 99 point exponential 9%, is it possible that there might, is there a small chance that there might exist a God who's much different than you think he is? And he said, uh, that's what he said. And I said, I'm not trying to stump you. I'm really not a, not a stumper. I, I just think about these things. And he said, honestly, there, there is a chance. And I said, that's all we need. I said, you know what? Since there's a chance, I said, I'm going to propose to you that not, not taking any emotion into it, but the God of Christianity is the God that's most often blamed for the hurt in the world. No one shakes their fist at Buddha. No people are really shaking their fist at other gods made from wood and stone. But a lot of the anger is directed at the God of Christianity, and that's just looking at it without a, without a lot of emotion. So he is quiet with me, and then... I said, but let me tell you something. Even if you don't believe in the Bible, even if you just read it, I want you to know that the remedy proposed in the Bible for humanity will blow your mind. And he's like, 
okay. And he got really quiet. And I was like, ask the remedy, ask the remedy. <laughs> but I'm not going to be, I'm like trying to play it cool. I am not cool. I was like, okay. So I'm, I'm sitting in the seat and I'm like, ask the remedy, ask the remedy. And then he's like, it's silent for a little bit longer. And then he finally goes, hey, Lisa. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, what's the remedy? And I said, oh, friend, are you sure you want to know? From there, we dug into a Bible study. I want you to know, friends, that in the Garden of Eden, think of Adam. When he fresh stepped out of perfection, right? Here he is. He steps out of perfection into imperfection. How fresh in his mind was the picture of perfection? Very fresh. No one could convince him otherwise. But generation after generation goes on and on and on. And what has happened to our picture of perfection? It slowly faded so much that the new normal is that perfection is impossible. I said, John, God's remedy proposes that humanity will come to a better place than had they never fallen. He's like, but how? And I said, oh, John, have you ever heard of Jesus? You guys, what we hold in our hands is a proposal to completely restore every wound, every hurt, every loss of humanity. Go in your Bibles, please, to Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4. As you're turning there, I have a young man who attends our church plant, and he asked me, and the pastor of the church, he said, how is it that the God of the Old Testament could be so evil? And this is a common question, right? And we lo- I looked at him, and I said, can I ask you a question back real fast? And he said, absolutely. I said to him, how is it that that same God of the Old Testament that is so evil in our minds, you can sit there and question that, but there are men in the Old Testament who said that he wasn't evil. Think of David. Think of Moses. Think of Abraham who were shouting that this God is my friend. This God is long-suffering, merciful, gracious abounding in goodness and truth, I said, so one of us has the wrong picture. But these men in the Old Testament were still declaring his goodness, even with all of that happening. Perhaps we just don't understand who he is. Psalm 4 verse 6 reads, there are many who say, who will show us what? Any good. Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. David knew the answer to the question. He knew the answer to the pollution He knew the solution, that this life that we're living, friends, is not normal. What is the solution then? Lord, lift up your countenance upon us. You see, God proposes to clear this picture up to you individually. Each of you have to have this picture cleared up by proposing to us a God, a different God than we could have ever known. By showing you that you must see him as king and Lord and creator before you take him as your savior. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. We'll spend the bulk of our time in this this passage so you can use your little ribbon to mark it because we'll keep falling back to Isaiah chapter 40. I think this chapter is astonishing. Isaiah chapter 40, we are going to look at verse 12 to 17 as we move into the next point. We are looking at the first aspect, who is God? Who is he? What does he actually have to say for himself? And I told John, how about instead of trying to figure out who God is, let him just tell you. Saul, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 12 reads, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? 
measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? Does anyone know who's talking right now? God is actually saying these things. And knowing and understanding the context, he's, uh, Isaiah is in a, in, in a prophecy where God is sharing the victory and the redemption that they'll have out of Babylon even before they go into captivity. But here we're reading, he's telling them, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? What are the answers to those questions? No one. Verse 15, behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the, small, as, as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for burnt offerings. All nations before him are as nothing. Jump to verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like what? Grasshoppers. You're a grasshopper. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth, earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he shall what? Just blow on them. And they will wither away, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. Then he asks, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up what? Ah, oh, like David, lift up your countenance. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them by name and the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not what? Not one is missing. Friends, that's who God is. That God created the heavens and the earth. And do you realize he can measure the water in the hollow of his hand? He's like, yeah, I've got this in my hand. That the nations are like dust to him. That in light of all of this, this creator says that now, one of them, though, is lost. Talk about a vast, infinite picture. And getting a glimpse of who he is, what do you think he's encouraging or trying to show the children of Israel when they look at themselves? That, wait a second, who am I in comparison to all you are? We should be humbled, yet Isaiah 5.12 says they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of his hands. Can you believe this? Do you understand what the creature has done when they disregard God completely? They've actually made themselves God. The creature has just said to the creator, you're subjected to me. Settle it in your mind, friends. Right here, right now that it's an impossibility for you to procure even a speck of righteousness within yourself. Listen to this. There is not one point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in the minds of all 
than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Yet we insist, are we back in Isaiah 40? Chapter 40, verse 18. Yet we insist, to whom then he asks us, will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him to? Then it goes on to what they've been doing. The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever's too impoverished for such a contribution then chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. In other words, humanity's like, I don't understand God, so what I'm going to do is get every man, any possible man-made picture, carve it out of tree, gold, silver, whatever it is, and that's going to be my God. The enemy has so entangled the minds in the midst of fog and earthliness And it's so ingrained into our understanding that this has actually become a part of our faith. That this twisted picture of who God may be and who we are, he's saying, it's so twisted. But it's a part of your faith and character right now. There's hope, I promise. (laughs) We need heavenly eyes solved to discern with utter astonishment the worthlessness of creature merit in earning the wages of eternal life. When I was preparing for this message, I said, Lord, I, I don't want everyone to think I hate them. I don't. But listen, you may have a strong work ethic. You may eat the right foods, wear the right length of skirt, devotionals every morning, kindness, humility, even repentance, you name it. And yet you will not be given one more drop of grace than the person next to you who is not doing that. Did you catch that? Not one more drop of grace. God's grace is not selective. All of these things, devotions, gifts, strivings, work ethic, summer programs for 10 weeks, anything needs to be laid and set upon the fire of Christ's righteousness in order to cleanse it from its earthly odor. Yeah? I'm not telling you not to do those things, okay? (laughs) But I want you to understand That when it's laid on the righteousness of Christ and he cleanses it with his blood, it rises up to the great Jehovah as a sweet savor. Amen? Amen. Listen, if you would gather together everything that is good and holy and noble and lovely in man, okay? So all of the good all of us possess here in this room, if we were to gather it all together and then we came over and presented the subject to the angels of God acting as a part of salvation... We're like, look, we go to the angels and we're gathering all our righteousness together and we're like, check this out, angels. Look what we can do. The proposition would be rejected as treason. Standing in the presence of their creator and looking upon the unsurpassed glory which enshrouds his person, they are looking upon the Lamb of God given from the foundation of the world to a life of humiliation, to be rejected of sinful men, to be despised, to be crucified. Who can measure the infinity of the sacrifice? They would reject any good thing as treason. Do you know what treason is? You're a traitor. Once we divorced ourselves from God, we did not lose some right we originally had in the Garden of Eden. I think that, I've always thought that, but we didn't lose some right in the Garden of Eden. We lost favor with God. 
Even in Eden, our value, Adam and Eve's value, was not in something they earned. It was simply God's favor over them, God's love over them, that enabled them to live the lives they lived. The second, the workmanship of God and of his hands decides to become disloyal, he made himself entirely unworthy of all the blessings God was planning to give him. The second he decided no. Imagine Adam explaining to God how awesome he is on that first day after creation. He's like, the Sabbath together, and he's looking at all the creation. He's like, man, God, the animals are, I have dominion over them. (laughs) They're in subjection to me. And God's like, I made those. I thought to myself, Lord, do I do that in my life with the gifts you have given me? Hold your hand in Isaiah 40. We'll come back, but go to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles. 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles. I still sing a song when I turn the pages. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. It says this, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willing as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Did you catch it? All things come from you, and of your own we have given back to you. You see, if you have any gift, if you have any talent, take a second and say, Dear God, that came from you, and the second I don't give it back to you, I've essentially stopped the circle of blessing. That of my own you have given me and I have to just give it right back to you. It's the law of heaven. That all of these gifts are a continual flow by the grace and the blood of Christ. This was during the building of the temple when offerings were coming in and the children of Israel were like, ah, everything you have given us and we're just going to give it right back to you. Isaiah 40. Verse 6, the voice said, cry out, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The, flower fa- the grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are what? The people are what? Grass, and the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. The thought is that the true position of humanity is that we divorced ourselves from God. At this point, Adam and Eve were not entitled to a breath of air. They were not entitled to a ray of sunshine or even a breadcrumb of food. And as it stands, friends, right now, you aren't either, nor am I. So why wasn't man just annihilated as we deserve it? This is the part where we know the answer. But understanding again who he is, who I am, and now we'll move on to the cost. Turn to Romans chapter 7. Humanity is really interesting because in all of God's creation, we're the only ones who said, along with the fallen angels, we actually think we're better than you, God. Romans chapter 7 as you turn there, remember to keep, keep Isaiah 40 with me. Romans chapter 7. 
and we're going to look at verse 24. It says, who's, Paul is speaking here, and he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul is beginning to get a picture of the glory of who God is. He sees God, he sees himself, and then he says, what next? Have you had that moment? Where you begin to get a picture or a glimpse of who this God of the universe is, and then you see yourself, and I'm like, that quote in Steps to Christ is true. The more sinful you appear in your own eyes, the closer and closer what? You're drawing to Christ. And I was like, whoa, I'm really close to Christ right now. I feel really sinful. But you get this picture of who God is, who I am. And Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You see, the reason why man was not annihilated was not because God was, I'm sorry, was because God so loved him that he made the gift of his dear son that he should suffer the penalty of your transgressions. He, he was like, I'm not going to annihilate them because you know what? My son instead will die and take their place and bring them back to me. Does that even make sense? I mean, even as I say it, I'm like, this is so backwards. You see, what God did, God the Father took God the Son, and infinity became finite. Infinity became finite, so you could understand him. Friends, as big and as vast as God is, he's reachable every day to each of us. Just so you could get to know God through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I want to show you something. Go to Isaiah 43. Having a Bible study. Isaiah 43, verse 10 says, I'm uh, racing the clock, so I hear your pages. Isaiah 43, verse 10 says, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no what? There was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Jump to verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Verse 22. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you sacrificed, satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burned me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins." Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. You see, he's presenting to you two things. Number one, he is your creator. And when you get a picture that this God who is your creator could in a second, just blow and you're done. Just like that. But then he says, state your case before me. Two ways. First your creator, then friends your Savior. Matthew 27. Turn with me. 
Matthew 27, as we end our third point and move to the fourth and close so quick. Matthew chapter 27. I want you to look at verse 21. If you're there, you can look up and smile. You have a Savior. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. The governor answered, we know that Jesus is standing before Pilate. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said what? Barabbas. Verse 22, Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him what? Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified instead. I was uh, sitting on my bed one morning, and I was reading that, that story, and it hit me that when I read this story, I can really just put my name in the place of Barabbas. Friends, you're Barabbas. That when they said, who do you want me to release to you? They said, Daryl, release Joey to me. Release Heidi to me. What shall I do then with Jesus? Crucify him so that I can go. Every single one of us, type and anti-type, meet together. Jesus, in this moment, took all of humanity's place. Yahweh, Barabbas' name means son of the father. That the son of the father had to die so that you could actually still be a son of the father. Let's keep reading. Verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole garrison around him, stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him, took the reed, struck him on the head. When they mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Verse 35, then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they watched him there. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, righteousness by faith, when I get a picture of who he is, who I am, and then the cost that it was going to take to get me back to who I was supposed to be. I shake my head in contemplation of the internal purposes which he accomplished in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was put to his knees in prayer for every soul that believes in Christ and will believe in Christ when he said, for this cause, I bow my knees. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 and read it together. That Paul was getting a picture of who God was 
And as this picture of who God was became clearer and clearer, he fell to his knees and said, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is that length and depth and breadth and height and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, which means you'll never get it, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. That is the cost of our salvation. It's easy to forget, amen? Many of us jump right now to the call, and we think about the call that God has had in our life, and we're supposed to go and do mission and service, but it's kind of hard when I've forgotten who he is, who I am, and what it took for me to even have a breath of air every single morning. And yet when I get this picture of, number one, who he is, number two, what? Who I am, the cost that it took for me to become righteous through the blood of Christ, I can't help but with Paul say, the love of Christ constrains me forward. It is the only thing moving me to share every time. Paul recognized this when he said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ motivates me. Now not a soul can give anything that is not already God's. Bear this in mind, all things come from him, and of your own self we can give nothing. The reason so many fail, I'm reading a quote, so focus. The reason so many fail to be successful laborers is that they act as though God depended on them. And they suggest to God what he chooses to do with them in the place of their depending on God. They lay aside the supernatural power and fail to do the supernatural work. They are all the time depending on their own and their brethren's human powers. They are narrowing themselves, always judging after their finite human comprehension. Remember, there's a whole other 99.9% that you and I don't see. They need uplifting, for they have no power from on high with humanity, though and divinity combined, you can accomplish a work enduring as eternity. We try to understand righteousness by faith by just jumping sometimes to the call and the things that we should be doing. But if we neglect to understand who we are, who God is, the cost, the call kind of gets old. Sharing gets hard. I have a grudge, ugh. Every time I go to a door or the Bible worker asks me to go on outreach. Or you're a Bible worker and you don't want to go on outreach. I'm talking to myself here. From the smallest benefit up to the largest blessing all flow through one channel. A superhuman mediation sprinkled with the blood that is of value beyond estimate because it was the blood of the life of God's son. Isaiah 40, as we wind down. Isaiah chapter 40, 1 through 5. 
when I understand these elements of, oh God, you are a powerful creator who with just a breath of your mouth could annihilate the entire earth, yet you showed me that I am so weak, but that Christ came and took my place, I can't help but want to cry in Isaiah 40 verse 1, comfort, yes, comfort my people, that's his call to you now. Says your God, speak comfort to Jerusalem, cry out to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received uh, from the Lord's hand double for her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist, right? Elijah, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountains, O Jerusalem. You who bring tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. He tells you what to say. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule with him. His reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and gently carry them in his bosom. Gently lead those who are with young. You see, the call comes from then a motivation of understanding where you could be. You know, when I first came to the Lord, I went away. And when I came back, I was like, God, I don't want to go away again. It's bad. And I said, how are you going to keep me? And he said, Lisa, I'll do the keeping for you. There's a woman who I've been studying the Bible with in Patterson. She's a Hindu. Well, she was. It's been a year and a half. And she said, for six months, all the Bible worker training I had ever gotten, everything was failing with this lady. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm like trying different things. I'm showing her nature videos. I was trying everything. And then one day I was like in my car before I was going into her house. And here's the thing. This Indian woman was so consistent and faithful that I couldn't, I just kind of wanted the Bible study to stop. I know that sounds bad. But it was really stressful because she would stare at me the whole study like this with this frown in her, in her face, and I didn't know how to read her. And she would just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. And I was like, oh, okay, she's not, she's not, okay. Time goes on. Five months later, I'm sitting in my car, and I said, God, I'm out. I don't know what to do with this woman, but she wants me to keep coming back. What do I do? The verse comes into my mind, oh, Lisa, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. And I'm like, that verse includes Ranjit. I claim that verse for Ranjit. I go into the house and I said, do you have that book I gave you, Man of Peace, Desire of Ages? And she said, yes. I said, go get it. So she goes and gets the book and I tell her, I want you to read every day the chapter Jesus dies on the cross, okay? She's like, okay, are we having a Bible study? I said, no, we're praying. (laughs) So we prayed. I go back the next week and Ranjit says to me, Lisa, did Jesus really suffer like that? Bear in mind, this woman has no idea, has not even opened a Bible until six months prior to this moment. And I said, he did. And she goes, why? I said, because of you. She goes, I did not sin. I said, okay. Actually, you did. And the plan of salvation began to unfold her. I go back the next week. She says, I read that chapter morning and evening now. 
Every morning, every evening, I'm reading this chapter and I can't believe, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And I'm sitting there like, I don't even believe it like she believes it. Have mercy. I go back the next week and she says, Lisa, Jesus loves me that much. So can I like pray to him and he'll hear what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. This woman over the next year, has been studying her Bible more than any of my other contacts. She told me she was going through a time where she wasn't sure if she wanted to keep coming to the church. And there was this, I went to her house and I was like, no, we are going to keep going. And she sat there. I didn't sit with her. I didn't even tell her to do this. She read through the book of Job in one sitting and walked away refreshed. Friends, are you fighting like that for your walk with God? Ranjit, who had never even heard of Jesus, suddenly falls in love with him. There's a story of a young man who had a spiritual teacher and we're winding down. And he said, how can I get to know God? And the man looks at him, the teacher says, follow me. So they walk out to the country and they go to a river and the teacher proceeds to walk into the middle of the river and just stand there. And he looks back at the student, he's like, come on. So the student walks next to him, they're standing in the river together. And the teacher looks at him and says, submerge yourself. And the student's like, submerge yourself. So he submerges himself under the water, and the teacher takes his hand and places it on the head of the student and holds him under the water. After a few seconds, the boy begins to kick and to struggle, and he's lurching, trying to get out of the air, but still the teacher is holding him under the water. After what seemed like an eternity... The teacher finally releases his hand and the student pops out of the water with lungs aching, gasping for breath. The teacher looks at him and says, as surely, as soon as you desire God, as much as you wanted that first breath of air, you'll find him. He'll be yours. Psalm 4, 6, there are many who say, who will show us any good? David answers, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Isaiah 40, and then we're done. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? The million-dollar question, the number one question asked to Christian apologetists, good God, bad world, why? It's not a new question, friends. They were asking it here in verse 27. Why is my way hidden from the Lord and my claim passed over by my God? But verse 28, but have you not known, have you not heard of the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall be faint and weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Your only job is to submit your will and wait. Because you have a creator who loved you, who gave all for you, so that you could be a son. Therefore, do not lose heart. But friends, take these truths in day by day, focus on them. Preach them to yourselves every morning. Get alone with God. And preach these truths into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and you are cared for. You will realize that who he is, who you are, and the cost that it took, and the call. And do you know what the final result is? The final result, friends, in Revelation 4, 8, 11, and 5, 9 to 11, you can look at that. 
is that you will sing with all the hosts of heaven, worthy is the lamb that was slain, to receive glory and honor and power and that more than recovery will be found for each and every one of you than had you never fallen. Every day, every time, share. And by his grace, you'll know that this righteousness by faith is genuinely a gift. My friends, the only appeal is that every morning get alone with God. Let him be God. Don't take his place. This is your desire. Please kneel with me as we pray. That, Lord, in our hands as we pray, no price we bring, just simply to the cross we cling. And, God, you are the builder. We are the workmen of your hands. And now we bow our heads and close our eyes, submit and surrender to the creator of the universe that, while so vast and so large, became finite to show us that he loved us. Lord, I pray today and every day from here on out that our righteousness would not be in anything we do, but in our faith of the blood of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.